Tony, for me, healing is about being restored into community. Revealing Voices, the mental health podcast, raising unanswered questions, sharing unanswered prayers. We are faith-based, peer-led, story-driven, and stigma-breaking. I am Tony Roberts. I am Eric Riddle. And we are Revealing Voices. Yes, sir. Here we are. It's Mother's Day when we record this as we speak. Yes. What did you do today on Mother's Day? Well, I made a recipe from the Moosewood cookbook for hey. my mother. I used to live near Ithaca, right where that Moosewood restaurant is. I've eaten there. You know, I, I love that cookbook. It's all vegetarian. A lot vegan, too. Yeah, or not only vegetarian. It's our go-to soup recipe book mm -hmm. and today I made uh, something that I've been wanting to make for quite a while I was prompted by my brother who said bring some berries and I was like you know what I'm gonna make the chilled berry soup hmm and so I did okay so what it is it's three cups of yogurt three cups of freshly squeezed orange juice two tablespoons of honey uh, two tablespoons of lemon or lime. I did about half and half of that. You mix it, you whisk it all together, you chill it, and then you take mixed berries. I had strawberry, blackberry, blueberry, and raspberry. You uh, then put the orangey yogurt mix over that, and then you sprinkle cinnamon, and then put a few fresh mint leaves that I pulled from my garden, and that was it. We'll have this recipe on our website. I'll do it. <laughs> it was good. Fruit soup. <laughs> well, I'm like, we got to change the name. Yeah. So yeah. I said, let's call it the Rippy Berry Delight. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Claim that name. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I went to church with my mother this morning. Uh, she had three of her four children there, and we're hoping to claim the prize of the most children present in worship but we had a ringer someone who brought five okay and uh, i think they picked them up off the streets <laughs> they were they didn't look anything like the mobs they so. were cardboard cutouts yeah that's right so it was a very nice day sure my brother has a, a new house in indy and so he invited us up took the tour lovely home mm-hmm Kurt, I'm very uh, proud of you. You've really established yourself there in Indy, and uh, mm -hmm. look forward to many, many more meals. So, speaking of mothers, it's still Mental Health Month. <laughs> it is. Yeah, two episodes in May. You know, we got to talk about it. Yeah, and we wanted to talk a little bit about FaithNet. Yes. That Eric and I have been involved in. FaithNet is a wing of NAMI that relates to spirituality and mental health. Um, yeah, well, so NAMI, National Alliance of Mental Illness, is a nonprofit 
so it's it's secular, mm-hmm. right? But uh, I'm guessing a little over five years ago, they decided that they really needed to use the assets of faith communities, whether it be Christian or Jewish or um, Muslim or, or other. We wrote a grant here in Columbus to have a, a day, like a four-hour conference, lunch and learn type experience. There was probably 50 people there. The mayor came. Mm-hmm. I think so. Chief of police was there. And it was hosted by St. Peter's, the church where our uh, friend and pastor, Mark Tyke from our last episode, mm-hmm. uh, is he served. I think the first one, we had 17 different churches represented. One thing I remember from that presentation, and it came to me, I said, you know, the mental health system isn't, isn't broken. It is being built really for the first time mm-hmm. to say something's broken it's almost to say like it was fixed or working well at some point yeah and i i think it's just an emerging mental health system that has a long way to go right but we're taking strides and, and we are building that bridge mm-hmm. um, and nami is doing a good thing yeah there's a lot to be said nami operates on a number of levels. They have research that they support, education, like what we're talking about, advocacy in Mm -hmm. legislation, and support for families and uh, people with mental illness, mental mental health diagnoses. Yeah, we have a family support group, a NAMI Mm -hmm. family support group here in Columbus. We also have one that our friend Carol started in Mm -hmm. Seymour, you know, about uh, 20 minutes south. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that went well. I know she just had her first uh, family to family, actually, mm-hmm. and that went really well. So thank you, Carol, for yes. uh, taking the lead on that. So uh, our most previous episode, we talked about um, Eric and his haiku, his ministry of haiku, and thought we would invite him to share some of that with you. I've never thought of it as a ministry of haiku. It is. Well, Okay. Uh, service ministry yeah yeah it's something i really i I keep private you know i I wrote it for a full year uh september of 2016 to september 2017 and i probably didn't post more than 10 of those on any of my social media i just wanted to kind of make it a more of a private thing but it means a lot to me it's a creative expression and i think one of my main creative outlets is just language so um Tony thought it'd be kind of fun to, to read a few here on the show. Mm-hmm. So I've got five. Okay. The first one. The, yes. And for anyone out there who doesn't know a haiku, a haiku is five syllables on the first line, seven syllables on the second line, five syllables on the third line. 17-syllable poem. Mm-hmm. So here's the first one. Infinite space between stimulus response abide in that place very good Uh, second one put down the remote leave screen and stare at the sky stars aren't on tv (laughs) i like that a lot it's uh relates quite well to mental health and the need to de-screen mm-hmm the stars are indeed in the sky, and they're very fun to look at in a very dark place. Third, instead of protest, 
affirm constructive comments. Build bold bonds, brothers. <laughs> I know you like alliteration there. Uh, you got to go with alliteration. What was it I said earlier? I'm all about alliteration. Yes. yes. All about alliteration. I got the build bold bonds, brothers. You got it. Bilbo Baggins. <laughs> Bebop. Um, fourth, green lawns are challenged. Yellow dandelions fight. White weed seeds take flight. <laughs> Good one for this season of mowing. Yeah. Eric is a man who works in the yard, including uh, fighting off the dandelions. Yeah. Good, good work. My mother gave me two little blackberry starts today. I planted in the yard. My blueberries didn't work out last year, so I'm going blackberry this year. Mm -hmm. We'll see what happens. All right, so um, let's go into the interview. Yes, let's. Eric is uh, my dialogue partner today. Eric will uh, explore his story, and we will discuss um, how mental uh, illness or mental health struggles have impacted his life, as well as how his faith has strengthened him to, to face those. Tell us a little bit about your faith upbringing, Eric. I grew up in the church. My grandparents were really pillars of their uh, church community in Tell City, Indiana. Really had a big influence on my mother and aunt. And, uh, you know, I was born in the church, baptized as a child, right? So growing up, who was one person who very much shaped your faith? I think my grandmother. Grandmothers are great. Jeanette uh, Rest Rippey. And... It, it was just the the love, the unconditional love, mm -hmm. and and also my my aunt, my mom's sister. She was more you know in the Bible, in prayer, uh, with me, my my godmother, mm -hmm. and it was it was a little more intentional. You might call spiritual practice. Yeah, my, my grandmother. It was just like unconditional love. Mm -hmm. When did you first have a mental health episode? It may have been when I was a sophomore in high school. I, I learned right before the semester started that we were going to be moving uh, from Kentucky up to Columbus, Indiana. And I really had a very tight-knit group of friends. And I was also very shy uh, around people that weren't in my friend group. Uh, in fact, I learned that I was called Kermit the Hermit <laughs> by, by the the female students in my elementary, middle, and high school days in Kentucky. But but among the guys, I was just one of the guys, you sure. know. And uh, but the shyness came out around the girls, and you weren't a ladies' man. I, no, no. Uh, my wife would probably contend I've never been. Uh, <laughs> When I found out I was moving, I was also told I could not tell anybody because of professional ramifications to my father. So I had basically a semester, I'd say at least three months, where I felt like I was living a lie. I mean, that yeah. was kind of the voice, uh, the thing I told myself 
for those months where nothing felt like it was real anymore. Mm-hmm. Like I was going to be leaving. There was just this lonely, bittersweetness about life. Yeah. Uh, that lasted. And when, when I moved, I, I lost that friend group. Right. And I refused to have any friends. Um, actually I, we had like an off campus lunch uh-huh. here in Indiana. Once we moved, I refused to go out to lunch. Mm. I would sit in the cafeteria. There weren't many people in the cafeteria. There's like the detention kids <laughs> and me. So like the breakfast club. Only I sat by myself club. and I just watched the clock and I actually would put a Kermit Pez dispenser <laughs> next to me in the cafeteria just to be kind of strange. It really it's almost like it surprised me. It was like a surreal thing. I remember thinking to myself, there's nothing lonelier than feeling isolated in a crowd. Right. And that is how I felt for months on end. So as your uh, life has developed, uh, what were, what was one of the dark episodes for you with your illness? Tony, the repetition for me is anytime there was something new, I would isolate and become depressed all these experiences would just pile up and every time i got into that space there would just be this keen remembrance of all the prior experiences of of the depression of the isolation just not feeling connected to anybody Mm -hmm. and i think the most profound time for that was when i was about 26 and i started commuting about 45 minutes to Indiana University to get my MBA. And I felt disconnected from my family, and I felt disconnected from the fellow students. I had uh, left my job. I had been a banker and kind of had the nine-to-five hours. I How old were your children then? I think Neela was five and Isaac was two. Along the way, how have you explained it to them or disclosed what was going on in your life in terms of struggle struggling with your mental health? I haven't talked a lot about the particulars of my experiences, but I have shared my diagnosis with them. Mm-hmm. And I did that, I think, two years ago. We were driving to Pittsburgh, and we had this time in the car uh, Jen and I were in the car, and I had just been interviewed by our local newspaper, and I knew it was mm, going to be this mm. front-page story about faithful friends. Yeah. This is when you weren't in town. Right. And they were going to see my picture, and they were older. You know, at this point, I think Neela was 13, and Isaac was probably 10. Mm-hmm. And... I wanted them to know. I mean, it was a big question of when. And I'd been yeah. thinking that for years. And I decided to do it before they were in high school and when I was in a, a healthy place. Mm-hmm. So take us through what that looked like. Paint a picture of when you told your children. It, it was sort of matter of fact. Mm-hmm. It was just like Neil and Isaac, you, you, I need to let you know that... I do have 
a, a mental health diagnosis, mm-hmm. um, bipolar two, mm-hmm. and they knew I had a weekly Tuesday night. Not really what it was all about. Right. I described faithful friends to them. I described how that weekly ministry really keeps me consistent and healthy yep. and focused on wellness. And I said, you know, the times when I've really struggled have to do with depression. Yeah. And they just didn't believe it, especially Neela. Mm-hmm. Well, well maybe they, they, they neither one believed it, but Neela was more like flabbergasted. Yeah. Isaac was laughing. <laughs> it became like a really funny thing. Like, this is not true. This is just kind of strange. You've never been depressed. We've never seen it. Well, it should be point pointed out, and you're right. I mean, you, Eric is a great father. I, I highly respect you as a father. And, you know, in terms of being depressed uh, or even less attentive, the, the things a lot of us struggle with as, you know, when we're depressed, I, I can see how they would find that peculiar, mm-hmm. not not see that in you. Yeah. Now, shifting gears a bit, you and I, when we first met back 2014, uh, one of the things we discussed was how we had positive uh, experiences on psych units. Yeah. Um, say a little more about what your experience has been on, uh, on psych units. So my first psych experience was in college, uh, into my senior year. I was very resistant. Uh, it was really the only time that I had a documented manic period that was, I was totally resistant, not accepting the care, wanted to get out of there. Um, got out in two days, even though I was on a 72 hour hold. But during that, I committed to staying on my medicine and going to a therapist, which I'd never done talk therapy before. Um, and right after that's when I got into banking, got into the routine, was very healthy for five years. My next experience in the hospital was at the end of that MBA semester, very depressed. You know, you asked about the darkest time of my life. That was it. And I really enjoyed the camaraderie of the other patients. In fact, I, when I went home, I wrote a journal entry expressing gratitude for each of those people that I met. And the, the group therapy aspect was the best. Yep. And my last time in the hospital was five years ago. And the same thing. The group therapy was very impactful. And mm-hmm. I left there saying this is important enough that I, I want to be a part of something like this. And I also want to have something in the context of faith, because that was the, really the one missing thing in the hospital. Yeah, that's one thing we discussed, wasn't it? I mean, um, I also had positive experiences on psych units. You hear a lot about uh, uh, negative experiences, and the, they exist. You know, I mean, there's no doubt that there are 
facilities, there are units, uh, uh, there are people when uh, you go. Because a lot of times they're mixed with uh, addiction issues and mental health issues. And it's hard right. to hard to tease to, you know, coalesce. But uh, um, it, it can be very helpful. And that's what we try to do with Faithful Friends. That's Share right. a little bit about Faithful Friends and what it is. It has done for you and, and is doing for you. So Faithful Friends, we have um, a schedule we follow for an hour and a half. We read our foundational scripture. We do introductions and share a little bit about ourselves, like what is our favorite flower you know it goes all over the place right we always have a what is your favorite chocolate was this most yeah. recent week um and then we have a, the one that i liked is when we asked uh, if you were someone of the opposite sex what would your name be right right <laughs> or what were your parents going to name you yeah right what right. was yours again you, you well jennifer ann riddle <laughs> which is actually jen's name Cool. Which is weird. <laughs> it's weird, but it's it's kismet. Yeah. yeah. It's kismet. Yeah. And what was your name um, going to be? Let's see. I don't remember. Flannery? Antonia? <laughs> no, it wasn't anything to do with my name. R- oh, it's, Roberta yeah. Roberts? It's what would I be been named? Yeah. Yeah, so it would be Karen. My, my sister, my older sister would have been named Karen, but she was born in April. And they named her April. So my, I would have been Karen. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So a- after introductions, we have a scripture reading, some discussion. Then we have a wellness topic. We have the one minute of gratitude, and then we have general sharing. Having the wellness component really skews the whole hour and a half in a positive light. Exactly. We focus on something different almost every week. There's been very little overlap because there's really that many things that contribute to wellness. Yep. You know, this past week we focused on drinking water. Yeah. That is an aspect of wellness. And brainstorming, deciding what the topic is going to be, you're focusing on wellness every single week. Yeah. And I would say in the general population, that is very rare to be contemplating what will help me be well. We have co-leaders, you know, which was uh, not the case at the beginning. When we began, it was Eric and I. But uh, people like uh, Ken, Kim Graves and Diana uh, Starkey and uh, uh, Carol Oct- uh, Oktovich. Oktovec. Oktovec. Uh, uh, we have worked together, Judy Taylor, uh, to provide leadership for this group. And uh, like you were saying with wellness, uh, it provides a great diversity right. for what we do. I, I really like how we do a lot of journaling and right. uh, write cards to people mm-hmm. and a lot of good stuff. Now I know what our, listeners are waiting on pins and needles to hear is uh, the story about the banana suit. So 
Yeah. <clears throat> Share with us the story about the banana suit. Okay, the banana suit story. There was a spelling bee that was going to happen. It happened. And I was on the spelling bee team, which to let everybody know, we won this competition. But we were supporting the local food co-op. And so uh, people were going to dress up for it just to have fun. And I have a friend who has a banana suit, and they let me uh, use their banana suit for this spelling bee. So I, I had it. I had it, right? But the day before, there was this mayor's debate going on. And more background on this, I had graduated with my MBA, but couldn't find a job in town. And it was just like, why can't I get a job? I've got my MBA. I worked really hard to get this, went through a lot. And so it was the summertime, and I decide I'm going to wear a suit every day, <laughs> like a formal suit. Okay. A formal suit, tie, you know, looking sure. good, looking good. I had all my... You look my, good, you feel good. Yeah, you, I had all my, uh, you know, this stuff had did been brief, tailored. Did you have a briefcase? No, I did not. <laughs> okay. But I'm walking around wearing a suit. Heat of summer. Got a you know wool suit. Wear that on occasion. Whatever. It's hot. With the patches on the sleeves? Uh, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Um, still not finding a job. And so one day I'm like, you know what? I'm going to trade in this suit and tie and just wear a banana suit <laughs> among all these people. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like I'm, I'm giving up. Like, why can't I find a job? <laughs> So logically, you would turn to a banana suit. Yeah, and so I go to the place with, you know, all the movers and shakers in town, <laughs> going to the mayor's debate, where, you know, it'd be proper to wear an actual suit, which I had been wearing every day. And, you know, that'd be an appropriate place to wear a suit. But I go in a banana suit. And I walk in, and I'm, I'm also, I had written on a couple sheets of paper and, like, taped it to myself like a notice of the spelling bee that was going on the next day. So yeah. it was kind of like I was promoting the spelling bee and promoting the co-op at this mayor's debate. Sure. Like, come on, come on, raise some money. This is a good thing. Yeah. Um, but it was just really strange. Yes. And like I said, it was awkward. I rarely feel awkward, but that day I was sitting next to the chief of police. And I think I was just like, I just feel really strange right now. <laughs> And he looks Understandably at me like, so. Yeah. yeah. It, it's kind of strange. So you go to some political meetings. That's one thing that uh, is different between Eric and I. I'm somewhat apolitical. What is one mental health issue that you find legislatively needs to be addressed, perhaps is being ignored? I don't know if it's so much legislation that I think about, but it's funding. Yep. It's all about the funding. And... You know, I've I've shared like as far as unanswered prayers in, in this for society and what I think would really benefit a lot of people is more peer recovery. Yes. Funding. Talk about peer recovery as you go in along in this answer. Right. So peer recovery is to have people on a treatment team who are designated peer recovery specialists. And so they uh, have the liberty of sharing their experience in the mental health care system, you know, in 
staying well, modeling, healthy behavior, all these things. It's a different perspective and you can open up probably in different ways to someone who is a peer recovery specialist. And it, it's just not a respected position. You know, it's the kind of like, you don't have a license, so you right. can't climb the, yep. you know, leadership uh, ladder in a mental health care system. And from what I've heard, a lot of, depending on the agency, a lot of peer recovery specialists are just doing things that nobody else wants to do. Right. And, and then anything along the lines of discrimination, which is a really gray space right now, but when discrimination exists, uh, employers need to be held accountable. Yes. And I don't think there's been a lot of cases raised where you hear about that in the media, but it happens. It happens all the time. And I think we'll see more of that yeah. as far as um, legal cases that come up of discrimination. And we that's a hurdle I think as society we haven't quite approached yet. Another personal question I have of you, um, you're a well-read person. You read on a variety of subjects and a variety of authors. Uh, apart from me, who is your favorite, uh, who are your favorite mental health and faith authors or books? That's a good question. I, can't I know say nobody I lights have... up to me. <laughs> Tony, you're the best. Yeah. <laughs> well, Amy, of course, was on the show. Yes, Amy Simpson. I haven't been reading a lot recently about mental health, partly because I, I do have a lot of interests, and you know we're already doing a lot of mental health stuff. But interestingly, you have read some stuff on podcasting, and you listen to uh, podcasts about right. podcasting. Uh, yeah, well, right. <laughs> sort of meta -pod podcasting. Yeah, yeah. I do like a show called Waking Up Bipolar. What I like about that show is that the host talks about the positive side of a diagnosis. He says consistently he doesn't have bipolar disorder, he has bipolar order. Huh. Which I, I had said that before I ever heard him say it. And so I, I felt that that peer, I mean that's kind of like an example of a statement that rings true for me in a lot of ways on that subject language is very important to you and for many of us yeah. uh, about how it shapes reality and perception so what are some other uh, language issues that you've seen uh, that push you to want to to change perspectives staying on the bipolar order for a moment yes it is a really tough thing to frame someone's thinking as being disordered you know we all think and we all have certain perspectives we have on the world that we bring subconsciously or consciously to our daily living for me the the energy i'm able to bring there's a lot of value there having a diagnosis for me puts more attention to my health yep so eric um, what label do you think best describes your situation in mental health? Well, as I said, with bipolar, I, I think it's almost antiquated. Manic depressive, bipolar, 
just like the heritage of that term is just this one or the other thing. That's not my experience. Uh, I don't like it. But mood disorder, I think, is better because the way I can feel, it's almost like this momentum into whether it be feeling lonely or feeling upset, angry, feeling frustrated can just carry forth throughout a day or a few days and be completely disassociated with what's going on around me. I've learned to really keep it in check well, but those moods can really color a lot of activity and a lot of, not maybe not even behavior, but thought patterns, skewing things, thoughts are fused with feelings, and it's not really like what I believe or the core of who I am. There is a difference between a mood and a behavior. It's much harder to control a mood than a behavior. And, and I think... Good point. I think the more mature I've become and the more I understand my moods, the easier it is to kind of step back. You know, the easier it is for me to know that it's just a time for prayer and stillness and silence and not, as I said, like that momentum of a mood letting that spill over into behavior that is not healthy, not responsible behavior. Now on this note, um, is there a place for understanding mental illness and even using that phraseology? What can you say about mental illness? Well, I've experienced mental illness, no doubt about it. For me, mental illness is more about the expression of the symptoms r related you know, to that diagnosis, especially when it's that compounding of symptoms. And for me, when I am mentally ill for a period of time, it's almost always started with insomnia. And then insomnia leads to anxiety, leads to suppression of appetite, leads to having absolutely no libido, leads to this really constant critique of everything around me. And as I had said before, kind of this running replay of all the other times before when I'd kind of been in that space, that's when I'm ill. And, and that's when medicine, especially related to helping me sleep, helps me become healthy again. From a spiritual point of view, the, the concept of when I am weak, you know, thou art strong. Yes. Uh, in our weaknesses, we discover God's strength. Yes. And to proclaim his strength in the midst of what we are struggling with, uh, rather than arrogantly proclaiming how, how great we're doing. Right. So my aunt that I talked about at the beginning, she framed my experiences like the Apostle Paul's writing of the thorn Very good. in the yes. side. And that really helped me out because, yes, this diagnosis, the need for medicine, the need for attention to, to 
my health and the things that lead to those tougher places, I need to have top of mind. The fact that I could go into a dark season again, a depressed season again, that's um, a reality for me. From a spiritual side, it does help focus on the reliance on God for the daily desire for the Holy Spirit to help lead me and to to understand that we all have that burden to bear. It's in different ways. Mine just happens to be dealing with a diagnosis and the symptoms that uh, are associated with it. So let's come to the question that has marked our show. Mm -hmm. Uh, What does healing mean to you? Well, Tony, for me, healing is about being restored into community. Having a diagnosis and dealing with illness can be, as we've talked about, very isolating. And so for me, that healing has been overcoming that self-stigma and knowing that I am a full member of society, a healthy, contributing member of society. I think we we all are social beings, uh, some more than others, and to be part of the community is the biggest blessing there is. And, you know, for me, being part of Christian community is the ultimate community. To know that we are part of the body of Christ and that is fully expressed amongst other Christians, whether it be in worship or just planting a tree with a fellow um, person who, who understands God's creation. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. So you've mentioned that healing often happens within faith communities. Um, tell us about your faith community and faith communities that you have found healing. I'm very ecumenical by nature. Um, my theology isn't really tightly defined to recognize differences in my belief versus what a Lutheran believes, what a Catholic believes. It's not something I really like to get involved in. Uh, but what I do like to get involved in are people that love Jesus and at the core uh, see the Jesus to see Jesus in the Bible as our Savior, as someone who came as a representative of uh, perfect humanity, born in love and sinless. That's the most important thing to me as a Christian, and being amongst Christians who can believe that and we we can share that. uh... And I know on our first episode, you you and Jen, your wife... um, mention healing that happened through prayer at at your church or through through the prayer, prayer she lifted up so the living room is my home faith community and i'm also very much involved in a, a methodist church here in town but the living room it's non-denominational um it's kind of a, a mission-oriented church a lot, a lot of younger people i love you by the way living room people and they love you yeah five years ago my last time in the hospital jen let people know during your service that i 
had been struggling that I had to be uh, in a hospital in an inpatient facility for a bit and uh, people start writing letters, talking about their own experiences, sharing their appreciation of, of me. And that made a huge impact. And more than anything, I think that's when I really started revealing my voice um, because mm-hmm. it was now baked into my faith community that I had these struggles, I had this history with it, uh, and I was now in a place where I could share that in the most intimate setting and it's really just kind of blossomed from there. My family was very much aware for a oh, long yeah. time. So it was really <clears throat> right. family and then faith community now. And then you took out. a bold step uh, after I had uh, uh, the news had come out with about my book and speaking at the library. Eric contacted me through, uh, f- found out from his lovely wife, Jen, about uh, the event and uh, Eric contacted me, I, I think, as an email, so wanted to have coffee. And, you know, we uh, sat and talked about uh, uh, my illness at that time. Uh, you were a little more hesitant at that time because you had not shared it with many people. And I'm a stranger. Very quickly, you opened up mm-hmm. and we started meeting weekly for prayer and uh, walks. So I saw early on, and, and it's been become much more true, how comfortable you are, uh, such as on this podcast, mm-hmm. talking about mental health struggles. Tony, thank you for this time. Hey. And <laughs> I'm trying to think of something very witty to say to, to wrap up our time together. What's the, the theme to All in the Family? I'm so glad uh, we've I, had this time together. Or that's, is that Carol Burnett? Just to share a laugh. I'm, they're both before your time. This is our generational difference. Here. <laughs> okay, Eric. What a great episode. Time to be with you. Our next episode will welcome Kelsey Rockhold. I first came to know Kelsey through her blog. She is a talented, gifted young writer. Um, She also has battled um, mental health issues. She has a fascinating story, though, because uh, uh, she did experience a a high measure of healing uh, while she continues to struggle each day. She's had a, a big turnaround this year, and we'll learn more about that. Yeah, Kelsey Rockhold is the uh, blog writer, and the name of her blog is Writings from the Raven's Desk. You can find her work at writingsfromtheravensdesk.wordpress.com. I really look forward to meeting her. I know that you... I had the chance to visit her her. and her husband, Curtis, and their lovely son, Henry. And uh, we had lunch at uh, the Old Spaghetti Factory in Phoenix, Arizona. Very nice. Beautiful day. Then we went to Tropical Smoothie and had a, a smoothie to top it off. Wow. Great family. Curtis makes guitars. That's right. He's a specialty... Uh, woodworker uh-huh. and uh, makes electric guitars. And you were part of the Shattering Stigma with Stories good, conference with her. Good point. We spoke Portland. at the original Shattering Stigma with Stories conference in Lake Oswego, Oregon. Okay. 
and um, I came to meet Kelsey and our mutual friend Leanne Sipes at that conference and made some good uh, good friendships. I really like how you've made these relationships through your blog that are standing the test of time and are a real value for, for both of you, even though you live miles apart. Okay. Thank you. So, Kelsey, I look forward to uh, interviewing you here very soon. Tony, our show has come to a close. Now is the time to ask for five-star reviews. Please scroll to the bottom of our podcast homepage, click on five stars, then click on write a review. Help us reach more people seeking emotional healing and the hope of faith. Thanks again for your support of Revealing Voices. Revealing Voices is not a substitute for professional mental health care or participation in a faith community. If your unanswered questions or unanswered prayers leave you feeling desperate or unsafe, we urge you to seek further help. A partial list of outreach resources may be found on our website, revealingvoices.com. This is one I picked out, okay, from my recent haiku throw-in. My dear chocolate, <laughs> glorious candy kisses, edible beauty. <laughs> I think that says it all. Yeah.